Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Doxedo Hatfield, uh, once again, welcome to everyone joining us online. I trust that you are still winning at flattening all the curves in your life. But maybe in the meantime, can I ask you to open up your Bible with me to the New Testament book of First Peter. So we are still in our series, Rooted Hope, our new normal, as we are working through this letter that Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, wrote to the early church and their lives had been turned absolutely upside down through pressure and persecution. They had been put into a type of lockdown, almost like we have. And so the questions now arise, how do we stay faithful to God during this time? How do we remain in our calling as Christ followers? How do we find true hope in this time? And today we're only going to look at two verses as Peter now continues and brings strength and hope to us saying, how can we make the most of this difficult time? So let's read together 1 Peter 2 verse 11. He says, dear friends, I urge you that strong language as strangers and exiles to abstain. The Greek there means to become estranged to from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, the non-Christians, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. So once again, Peter dives in and he says, I want to remind you of your calling, of the purpose that God has for you in this moment. And he says, I'm calling you once again, strangers and exiles. I love what J.D. Greer says. He says, if you are in a foreign nation, there are one of three ways that you can posture yourself. Firstly, is you can be an immigrant. An immigrant is someone who says, this is not my country, but I want to make this place my new permanent home. And that's how many Christians live in this world. They might profess to be Christians and they they believe up here that the kingdom, that heaven is their true home, but they live as if they want to make this world their permanent residence. So they spend all their resources on comforts. They stress about their reputation and they've got deep anxiety about the things that they have and the things that they don't have. They have this immigrant posture. The second thing is we can be tourists. A tourist is someone who's in this country, but they don't want to make this country their home at all. They are simply visiting. And that's how many other Christians live. They don't actually want to be here. So they, they make no real connections to the community. If the city has, has ailments and challenges, they don't concern themselves with it. No, they, they only stay within their own little groups. They speak their own little Christian language. Um, and they just wait. They are kind of sticking it out, waiting for God to come and whisk them away into the clouds, away from this evil, evil place. They have a tourist mindset. But Peter comes and he says, God has not called us during this lockdown in this world to be either immigrants or tourists. He says, I've called you to be an exile, an exile. See, exiles are people who say, this is not my true home. I have a true home. But in this season, I'm going to make the very best of the time that I have. And I'm going to invest myself fully in this place as my temporary residence. 
And Peter is saying that's how Christians should live. We should invest ourselves in our community. We should learn the language. We should become part of the culture. We should work toward its good, as Jeremiah would say. But we don't get so overly invested in the things of the world that we forget the culture and the heart and the passion of our true home, the kingdom of heaven. So yes, we find joy and purpose in the here and now, but the way that we express our sexuality, the way we steward our time, the way we spend our money, the way we develop our relationships, our dreams and our desires are all influenced by our true home, the kingdom of God. So Jesus, when he prays in John 17, he prays for his disciples and for disciples of all time. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. That is our calling, to be disciples, to be followers of Jesus, and to make other disciples, to make more followers of Jesus. And Jesus prays into these two things in John 17. And listen to what he says. He says, I'm not praying that you, the Father, take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, mature them, strengthen them. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. In other words, change them, transform them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus makes it clear. He says, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are exiles here with a mission and a purpose and a calling, even in lockdown. So let's roll up our sleeves. You see, it's so easy during this lockdown period to be consumed by something. Everyone is getting consumed by something in this moment. It's either anxiety or fear or drivenness or conspiracy. Everyone's getting consumed by something. But Peter is saying that exiles, even in lockdown, exiles are consumed by God. They are consumed by God and his kingdom. And that leads, and he gives two examples to two different Things. The first thing he says is that when I'm consumed by God, it transforms my desires. When I'm consumed by God as an exile, it transforms my desires. So get your Bible, read with me once again. Verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to what? To abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Peter is not sugarcoating this at all. He is saying that our sinful desires come to make war against our faith. It's looking to kill our relationship with God. Do you know that in 2018, the U.S. government spent $648 billion, that's with a B, on their defense budget. That was more than the seven closest nations, China, Saudi Arabia, India, France, Russia, UK, the Germany, um, or the Germans. That's more than all of them combined. The U.S. run more than 800 military bases all around the world. The point is they are serious about making war. So if you ever encounter the USA at a bar one night, Don't try and chat up the USA's girlfriend because they're not going to punch you. They are going to make full-on war against you. 
And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying our sinful desires are not just distracting us or making life difficult for us. They make full-on war against us. This word desire simply means that which I want the most. And here the Greek for the word sin is focusing on that which is opposite to the divine or opposite to God. So Peter is saying that which I desire the most, which is the opposite of God's character and truth. Those things come to make war against me. It's not simply that it's distracting me or it's making me feel a bit uncomfortable during the worship time or it's making me lose a couple of brownie points in heaven. No, he's saying it's coming to make full on $648 billion war against your relationship with God. That's heavy stuff. One of the other followers of Jesus, John, he writes exactly the same thing. He says in 1 John 2 verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, or some other translations would say the pride of life. He says those things are not from the Father, but it's from the world. Now, please listen, I'm not saying, and that's definitely not, neither Peter nor John is saying that Christians should be these prudes, you know, these killjoys, they find joy in nothing, they don't, they don't have any passion in life, um, you know, they don't desire anything, that's not what they are saying. I know there are Christians who live like that, but it's not because the Bible teaches that to us. What they are saying is there is a way to worship God and enjoy the creation that He's given us, the things that He's given us, in His way, in His culture. But there is a way to actually worship, to desire the creation, those things around us. And he says that when it consumes you, when your desires for things that are not God become your God, it destroys you. It makes war against your soul. So let's look at those three things that John mentions. He says the first is the lust of the flesh. This is conditioning us. For instant gratification. It constantly tells us, just feel good now, whatever the cost. So instead of trusting the wisdom of God and waiting for what's truly good in life, I just take it into my own hands. I will do it my way. I will do what feels good now. So maybe in this time of lockdown, when I'm feeling down emotionally, instead of taking that to God in prayer or taking it to the people of God and community, No, I take it to food. I take it to retail therapy, to buying more things to make me feel a bit better. If I'm in a relationship, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my boyfriend or girlfriend if I don't overstep some of my sexual boundaries and give in. For a couple, we say, well, we're not going to think primarily about the holiness and the ways and the reputation of God. We are just going to move in together prior to our marriage because that's what's most convenient and practical now. Or in these moments when I'm stressed about work, instead of seeking the the presence of God, I medicate myself with just a couple of extra drinks in the evening. It's the lust of the flesh. It's conditioning me for instant gratification. Just do what feels good right now. And secondly, he says, it's the lust of the eyes, the things that I see that I don't have. And it's conditioning me to be discontent. I'm never content with what I have. Because it constantly tells me, without this in your life, you will never truly be happy. 
And so what I find is maybe in this downturn of the economy, some of us are struggling even more than we could have because we have zero margin in our budget. Prior to this pandemic and this recession, we have been buying more house than we should. We've been buying more car than we should. We've been dressing ourselves in in fancier clothes than we can truly afford because we are so afraid we're going to fall behind the culture around us. Or I formed this inappropriate emotional relationship with a colleague at work. Because my spouse back at home, he or she is now kind of moving on in years. And I've bought into this cultural obsession with body type and sexuality and youth. Or I'm angry that someone in the church has gotten a promotion or a baby or a a husband. Because I believe those are the things that will truly make me happy and work against this deep resentment that I have. This discontentment in my heart. It's the lust of the eyes. It's leading me to discontentment. And thirdly, John says there's this pride. It's the pride of life. And this is conditioning me for identity issues. Who am I? What makes me who I am? Because it constantly tells me, if you don't accomplish this, if you don't pass that person, you are a failure. So what do I do in this time? I work myself to the bone. I'm driven well beyond what's normal and healthy. Why? Because I want to show my parents, my colleagues, my friends that I'm successful, that I'm ambitious, that I am someone of high esteem instead of spending more time in the word of God and hearing what he says about my identity. Who does God say that I am, I'm going to prove myself. Or I feel this deep shame in my heart because some of my university friends have now passed me vocationally or financially. Or during this time, I find it impossible to maybe take a lower status job so that I can provide for my family because that would hurt the image that I'm so carefully nurturing. It's the pride of life. It's conditioning me for identity issues. You see, Peter is saying, when I'm consumed with the world, when my desires are driving me, when they are are leading me, when I'm worshiping them, it is making full-on war on my soul. My desires are trying to murder my relationship with God. That's heavy. Now, here's the thing, religiosity, in other words, you know, doing good things, trying to do religious practices so that you would be a good person. Religiosity is going to tell you that you are a bad person and you do many bad things, but you can change. If you were to stop doing so many bad things and start doing some good things, you will become a good person. And then you will find the happiness and the joy and the peace that you so desire. So it's an outside-in change. But Jesus comes and he gives such a counter-narrative. He says, your issue is not that you do too many bad things and not enough good things. He says, your issue is that sin has disordered the desires of your heart, the love of your life. It's not that you desire. Desire is good. God has given us and created us with desire. But sin has so disordered your desires that you have this overemphasized desire for the wrong things. 
And he says, you will never be able to change your behavior from the outside in. I don't come to do that. I come to transform your heart, your life from the inside out. I come into your life and I become the greatest desire in your life. Because we can't just change our desires. But what can happen is a greater desire can displace, it can dislodge, it can move a lesser desire. That's what Jesus comes to do. Listen to how he speaks of the kingdom of God, what God is coming to do on this earth, his ways, his character, the new heavens and the earth, salvation, all of that. He says the kingdom of God in Matthew 13 is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he found the one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. See, Jesus is saying that as we walk the road with him in relationship, every single day we get into the Bible, we pray, we listen to the Spirit, we spend time with the people of God. We surround ourselves with this truth that more and more and more Jesus and his good news gospel and his kingdom is becoming the most precious, the most beautiful, the most satisfactory thing in my life. That a greater desire comes to displace the lesser ones in my life. You know, I often think of the example. If you were maybe on the Titanic as it sank in this horrible moment, all these people in this freezing water, and you holding, you find this, this bit of driftwood and you're holding onto it, and you're just holding on for dear life, and finally, after many hours, the rescue boats come, and they call you, they say, come onto the boat. But you say, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm good with this, you know, piece of wood that I'm just hanging onto. That would be stupid. That would be nonsensical. No one would do that. Why? Because that which has now come closer is greater. It's much more enticing and impressive and beautiful than what you have. You would jump at the chance because a greater desire in that sense has come to dislodge a lower one. Jesus says, that is what I desire to do in your life. Not just manage your, you know, all your outward things, just, you know, your behavior. Let's make a couple of changes. No, I come to be the very greatest desire in your life and transform you from the inside out. Now, maybe today, let me set the temperature of honesty so that you might be released to be more honest with yourself than you have been in a long time. And maybe after today, you would speak to someone in your community group, to a friend, to someone in the church and say, this is where I am. I want to be free. I want to experience more of Jesus in my heart. Let me be honest. You know, I've said many times from the pulpit that for most of my teens and my early 20s, I was absolutely caught in this thing of pornography. And you know what pornography does is it, it dehumanizes someone. It makes another person simply an object for your pleasure. It's the, it's, the, it's the lust of the flesh. It's instant gratification. And so the other day, you know, this, this is something that it lays down a pattern in your life that you have to ask God to come and slowly break apart, to objectify someone else for this worldly desire. And so the other day, I'm, I'm jogging. I'm out jogging, and suddenly my eye just catches as I turn to the left this really attractive woman coming out of her house onto their driveway. 
And as I look back, this thought comes into my mind. It says, come on, look, just look again. Turn your face again. Objectify her. Dehumanize her. Turn her into an object for your desire. And it's so beautiful. In that moment, literally, the next second, I just experienced this deep peace. It's almost like a waterfall, like oil poured into my soul as I just hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And you know what happens? I say, no, I'm not going to look back. Why? Is it because I had some great, you know, self-control? I'm the strong-willed person, or I was afraid that God was going to punish me. No, it's because in that moment, I had a greater desire. I want to love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to honor Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus more than I want to simply feed this worldly desire. And so the Holy Spirit ministers in my heart in that moment and says, that is the old Joe. That's the Joe that died on the cross with Jesus Christ when I put my faith in him and his finished work. And the new Joe was raised from the grave with Christ to new life. And you now, belonging to Christ, being found and restored and renewed in him, you don't have to bow before the God of sexuality because I'm found in Jesus. He is the pearl of great price. I want to know him. You see, exiles, even during lockdown, say that the greatest good the greatest love, the greatest desire that I have is God. And I want to grow into that more and more and more every day. When I am consumed by God, it transforms my desires. But secondly, I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes on this. It's, Peter says, you know, when I'm consumed by God as an exile, not only does it transform my desires, but also my dreams. So read with me again. He says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to verse 12, what? Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, those who don't follow Christ. So that not if, but when they slander you as evildoers, when they misunderstand your journey with Christ and they belittle you maybe, or they think it's strange or weird. He says, they will observe your good works and what? They will glorify God on the day he visits. Now, we're going to get into this a bit next week as Peter unpacks this for us practically. He's saying, how do we live in a world that doesn't share our worldview? How do I live when, for instance, my leader isn't a Christian or my employer isn't a Christian or even my spouse he's going to touch on isn't a Christian? We're going to get into that next week. But maybe I can leave you just with this one thought from this, this little text here. And it's this question. What is the greatest dream that you have for your own life? What's the greatest dream that you have for your own life? Guys, can I be honest? I think for some of us, this whole, this whole corona season, the pandemic and recession has been extra difficult because our greatest dream for ourselves has been to simply make a ton of money. To simply have the kind of career that would make other people jealous. To find the kind of husband that would finally speak to this low self-image that I struggle with. And now that this recession and this pandemic has come to shake all of those things, I am distraught. I feel lost. 
Why? Because the story is not going the way it's supposed to. So let me highlight for us what the issue is here, and I'll illustrate. If you're a bit of a a comic book movie fan, last year was huge, because the Marvel Cinematic Universe had its biggest achievement to date with Endgame being released. Highest grossing movie of all time. And it almost put a cap on this long season, 12 years, 23 movies, $22 billion worldwide box office take. Just an amazing accomplishment. And it all started in 2008, can you believe it, with Iron Man. I mean, who was not a fan? I'll never forget sitting down in the cinema and suddenly ACDC starts blasting over the speakers and this movie just explodes onto the screen. I'm sitting there thinking, this is amazing. Now, let me ask you, can you remember who the main character in Iron Man was? I'll give you a moment to think about that. Who is the main character in the movie Iron Man? Of course we all know. It's the scientist that the villain Obadiah Stane at one stage rebukes for not being able to replicate the technology that Tony Stark was able to put together. You know that scene where he's standing with his, his finger pressed you know, on his chest and he says Tony Stark was able to construct this in a cave with a bunch of scraps. You remember that, right? Do you remember what the name of that character was, the scientist? Of course you don't. Why? Because that scientist was not the main character. He was just a little minor character. Tony Stark, Iron Man, of course, was the main character. It's all about him. Now listen, friends, Peter is saying that exiles understand this. That when it comes to the the movie that is my life, when it comes to the story that is my life, I am not the main character. Jesus is. And it's all about him. You see, he is saying that when I live with my, my focus solely on myself, then this is a devastating time. But when I live for God, when he is the main attraction, when my attention is on him, when my greatest dream in life is to live for, to reflect toward, and to be the one who speaks of him and what he's done, he says the following will happen. I will live even in lockdown in such a way that people will see my good works and what? They will glorify God, he says, on the day he visits. This is so countercultural. You know, our culture says to us, you're the main character. Make a name, you know, leave an impression, be an influencer, self-actualize. Don't let anyone stand in the way of your self-expression. Pursue your dreams and desires. But the reality is, as we are finding out, especially in a season like this, it is so crushingly difficult when the world is on your shoulders like that, when you are the main attraction. It's almost like this, you know, minor scientist and Iron Man. He would never be able to carry that movie. That's not what his role is. It would have crushed him. And in the same way, when I am focused on me, this is about me and what I can get and what I deserve and what, what's coming to me, then this is such a devastating season. 
But when I can have my focus on God and say, God, can I live for, can the greatest dream that I have in life, can it be to live for your fame and your glory and your name, for your kingdom, for your values, for love of you, God, to know you, says then in this season, you can still have such great purpose, such great passion. Because guess what? Very soon, very soon, the curtain is going to go down on my life. And the question is going to be, did I make the main character great? Listen to how Jesus puts it in Matthew 5. He says, you are a light of the world. You're a city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so he says in verse 16, let your light shine in this moment. Why? So that they may see your good works and what? And give glory to your Father in heaven. God has gifted you with skills and talents. He's given you a vocation. He's given you maybe a marriage or a family. He's given you singleness in the season. He's given you so many amazing things. And he says, turn those things to my glory and my fame and see how people discover the one who is life itself. He says, people in exile, even in lockdown, when they are consumed by God, it transforms their dreams. Now, let me finish off by just saying, friends, this can only happen through Jesus. It can only happen. We cannot make this happen in our own lives. I think of two different people, the the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman in John 4. Or Saul of Tarsus, who would eventually become Paul in Acts chapter 9. Here, you have two people who were trying to make it work. The one was ruled by her desires. The other one was ruled by trying to make his dreams, you know, to make himself the main show. So Jesus comes to her and he says to her, you are trying to. She had these five husbands up to that point. And he's saying to her, you are trying to satisfy your soul with sex and with relationships, but that kind of water, that natural water will never satisfy. He says, it's only when the living water that I give you comes into your life that you find true satisfaction and joy. It's only when I become the savior of your life. He says to Paul or Saul at that time, who was trying to make such a name for himself, he was going to be the main character. He was going to snuff out this little Christian sect that had popped up. And with such zeal for his religion, he was going to do that. And Jesus meets him on the Damascus road and he says to him, you are persecuting my people. And it's only we read there when Paul says, Lord, to Jesus, that this transformation in his life takes place. Can I ask you, have you had this happen in your life? Have you come to the point where it's not just religion or rebellion or trying to be the main character or or falling under the weight of your desires? But Jesus has become the Lord and the Savior of your life. He's come to restore you, to renew you, to rejoin you in relationship with your Father. Because the good news is not that we can make it work, but that we had failed miserably in our sin. But the good news is that God has stepped into history and the person of Jesus Christ and he suffered as he took our sins, our failure, our our broken desires upon himself and he defeated sin and he rose into glorious life and he invites us to say, turn your heart and your life toward me in faith and let me restore you.
Let me transform you from the inside out. Because as you become an exile, as you become obsessed with God, you will find your desires and your dreams being transformed. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just pray this morning that every single person hearing my voice at this moment would be so convinced that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he is the Lord of all, and that every single one of us, whether just afresh this morning or for the very first time, we would just turn to you once again. God, you are beautiful. You are precious. You are the greatest desire that we have. We want to know you as exiles in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.